Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to our next podcast. I'm, of course, Dr. Sal Pacella from San Diego, California, at, at San Diego Plastic Surgeon. That's Instagram. Um, I'm joined, of course, by my colleagues, Dr. Samir Jajurikar, who's in Dallas, Texas. It's at Sam Jajurikar on his Instagram. And, of course, Dr. Sam Ree out of Paramus, New Jersey, the New York City area. And it's at Bergen Cosmetic. So we are joined today by a very good friend and former colleague. I'd like to introduce my good friend, Dr. Andrew Trussler. We were interns together at the University of Michigan. He was in general surgery. I was in plastic surgery. And then shortly after that, because of my influence, of course, I convinced him to join plastic surgery. He ended up doing his fellowship at UCLA. I was one of the top stars at UCLA and then did a cosmetic fellowship at UT Southwestern shortly after that. He joined the faculty at UT Southwestern and was there until 2012 and then decided to go to private practice in Austin, Texas, one of the greatest cities in the country from what I hear. And he does a tremendous amount of cosmetic surgery. He's a great guy, super entertaining. Prior to introducing him for the very last time, I'm going to hand it over to uh, Sam Ree, who's going to give us our intro disclaimer. Thanks, Sal. This show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The show is for informational purposes only. Treatments and results may vary based on circumstances, situation, medical judgment, after appropriate discussion. Always seek advice of your surgeon or any qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding medical care and never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking advice because of something in this show. Andy, welcome. It's been a long time, been many years since we've seen your face. It's great for great to be on here. It's good seeing you guys. I hadn't seen I hadn't seen some of you guys for years and years. So it's cool. Thank you. Andy, we're gonna talk today about a really interesting topic that you've done a tremendous amount with and you've evolved through your practice. And since you're gonna be talking about auto augmentation for our listeners out there. What auto augmentation is, it's shaping and reconfiguring the breast without an implant. So if you've ever decided to get a breast lift or get some augmentation, this is an interesting way to do so without using a silicone breast implant. So Andy, why don't you take it over? Yeah, this is a, a subject that's near and dear to my heart and uh, something that I started actually at UCLA. The influence really for it was Peter Rubin's article in ASJ, probably, I think it was 2005 in the massive weight loss population. And, uh, you know, those, those patients presented to me, not infrequently. And I feel like those, that population alone with an implant, even though you think that they need an implant for volume, which a lot of them do, you can achieve quite a good breast shape and quite, and quite a good amount of volume just based on the epithelialized skin and thin glandular tissue. And so I worked in that population, then uh, translated over to a cosmetic population, then more recently to the revision population or implant revision population who may need or want their implants out. And uh, so from a primary perspective, I think we have a couple of examples of patients who, who presented to me who basically wanted a breast lift and didn't want an implant and or patients that presented with a C plus volume that wanted, want to maintain volume. And that I feel those patients are the most challenging mass specs augmentation patients. I do a ton of mass specs augmentations, but you know, that operation is fraught with a lot of control issues. And I, I really worked on that operation as well to control the, the position, the implant long-term and things like that. But the, the larger breasted uh, patient who wants to maintain volume 
who needs and could benefit from a lift out of them. These are the perfect candidates and they're not all massive weight loss patients. I think those patients somewhat few and far between in a way, and it's an operation that's based on a, on a central mound. And then I don't base my structure on dermis. I think that's where those results probably fail long-term. Just for our, for our non-plastic surgery viewers and listeners out there. So what you're referring to is when you're talking about doing a breast lift and a, placing an implant at the time, the implant and the breast sometimes act differently, right? We can usually control the position of the implant reasonably well, but sometimes what happens is that breast tissue sort of falls off of the implant and it yeah. may bottom out preferentially because it's soft tissue compared to an implant. Maybe you want to Tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you may have had throughout the years, or let's open it up for discussion about what you guys do to help control that issue. For mass effects, the augmentation patients, I feel like you're managing two different forces. You're managing adding volume and then somehow repositioning and lifting breast tissue as well. So I, I always think of that as melding the two and having those two structures stay together. Often you'll see the implant too high or the implant too low. Implant too high is probably related to the breast falling off. Implant too low is just too large of an implant with too little of a lift. And that's the battle when you have a lot of breast tissue and you're putting an implant behind it and you just have a too much going on there. And those are really challenging patients in the literature. They're the most, those are the patients that are fraught with issues. And that's why this operation is a really nice option. Yeah. I think we've talked about this before briefly. And when you're trying to tighten up that skin envelope, and then you're also trying to expand volume, like uh, Andy said, it's you're, you have two competing forces. And I always likened it to trying to stick 10 pounds of potato in a five pound sack. And then Sal said, no, I've only heard that comparison <laughs> with resident. So anyway, so to keep going, basically every time you're trying to stuff this implant in and you're trying to tighten up the uh, skin envelope around it, it's. Like you said, it's fraught with challenge and difficulty. And the fact that you can actually take a breast lift patient and use their tissue in a way to shape and augment their volume with their own native breast tissue is something that I think a lot of patients could actually benefit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, I, I think um, what we tell patients is we have four dimensions to control in surgery. There's length, height, depth, but we can't control the fourth dimension, which is time. And that's where I think it's oftentimes really challenging. On the table, you can get a great implant, a great lift. It can look absolutely perfect. And then the forces of contraction will take over. The forces of gravity will take over. And sometimes the best laid plans in the operating room just don't turn out exactly correctly later on. So curious to see how you attack this problem. Yeah, I think uh, one of my one of my mentors used to tell me the lower pole of the breast is likened to a lizard's tail. It's the only thing that grows back, it seems. So really that lower pole control is, you know, tough. And I really work at that with the mass epoxy odds. I, I, I really have to work at, at providing support to the lower pole so that the implant just it doesn't bottom out. And then the, the tissue and the implant are all protected and, and, and able to heal well as well. So yeah, it's a tough one. And I think patient realization that it is a tough one is hard. Everyone thinks it's an easy operation, but it's just not. So, you know, I think this is a really nice option. So this is a, a typical kind of, you know, patient who doesn't want an implant benefit from a breast lift, but wants a little bit more shape. 
And so I think if you really look in the lateral and in uh, three quarter view, you can really see where that volume is maintained. It's above, you have upper pole volume on that. Ironically, there is an, an article where they really said that you can't achieve that without a small implant. And I think with this, you can. And I think the terminology gets a little bit skewed in this day and age with fat grafting. These are not fat grafted patients. This is all breast tissue that's on a central mound. So it's on a blood supply that I just refashioned and around um, the nipple and it actually forms almost an implant-like shape that's attached to the, the periosteum into the upper pec as well. And I use an absorbable suture on everything. This is only three months. I think she's lost a little bit of weight as well, but I see patients back for a long period of time. I think I'm honest with patients as far as telling them, hey, there may be some scar vision type stuff in the lower pole, things like that. But Nothing that would necessitate reoperation, but um, so I do see patients back for scar care well over a year, and I think the results do last. I think there's there's maybe habitual changes in the patient that I'll see sometimes with a breast lift functionally there's improvement, so patients may be a little bit more active and things like that. So you'll see some weight shifts and weight fluctuations, but long term, I think I saw this patient back a couple of weeks ago. In long term, they're good and years out. Yeah, I think having follow-ups over a year is important. I think these are, you know, fairly, you know, short results, but they do last for as long as the patient wants them. And I've had one patient come back for an implant for more volume or for volume augmentation in the upper pole. And then a year later, we took that implant out. I think it was like a 190 cc implant too. So it's not like it was huge. And that's one out of a series of probably close to, closer to a thousand patients probably right now. So um, let's say, so this is a gorgeous... Well, this is a gorgeous result. Imagine this patient said to you, Dr. Tressler, I want to be just a little bit bigger than I am. Kind of how you were sort of alluding of all the complications that you can have if you were to you know, use an implant in a case like this. Would you think there would be a role for fat grafting for a little bit of volume addition to this patient? Or would you just tell her you're going to be a little bit smaller and that's the way it is? No, like in the consultation, I, I, I give them, Hey, this is your option long-term too. And fat grafting is in the cards. I have done that. I have done that in combination with more importantly, the patient who comes in for implant removal, auto augmentation may have, may, I may call it and say, Hey, you don't have a huge amount of volume, but you know, she's doesn't want an implant back in. Right. So you could add some fat grafting to that. So I think this patient, sure, that would be an option and a smaller implant, like a, a lower profile implant would be an, an, another option as well. And, and that's on the table. I usually have, if we're going to do that, wait at least a year to consider that. But as I said, those are few and far between. This is a great result. The first time I ever saw something where there was an auto-aug with a mass apexy was James Grotting, who described yeah. something with a superior pedicle and then taking the inferior tissue and sort of hiking it underneath. But I don't know about how long that would last. Amy Alderman, when we talked to her last year, if you guys remember, she talked about something similar to this that she developed with Hall Finley. And I think she did the same thing you're describing, which is securing it to periosteum or something really stable. Mm -hmm. And so I, I thought maybe you could describe that a little bit more and, and see how that contributes to the activity of this. Yeah. So if you think about the, I wish, I guess I should have had a, a preoperative marking patient, but 
the the preoperative what you're gaining what you're getting the augmentation from is basically the meet the inner and outer dermogladular wings that comprise a wise type pattern so these are wise type pattern skin incisions and then everything within the wise type pattern is wrapped on itself so the upper triangle of that wise pattern that's what I'm securing to the periosteum and to the pack. I use OPDS for that and I use uh, three points. I used to just use one point, but I felt like it medialized the nipple a little bit, put a little bit too much tension on it. So I, I, I think if you go almost true superior, have some stabilization throughout the medial aspect of the breast, it can really secure that. I know it lasts for quite a long time because you can actually feel a little bit of it may be some fat necrosis and or just a little bit of scar tissue at the upper aspect of the pedicle sometimes. That softens over time. But yeah, you can usually palpate um, the periosteum of the fourth, third rib on the inner aspect in this work laterally, immediately on that. You have to elevate flaps. That's the thing. You really take things apart and put things back together this operation. I, I'm a little, I'm more aggressive with the upper pole dissection and my skin flaps now than I was a little bit hesitant to really rewrap the skin over the, the mound, but that really works. Yeah, I think that's the key here for an operation like this. And when I do even a breast reduction that's on a small, pa smaller patient, I think the key is really elevating the superior skin flap all the way up to the pec, because yeah. that allows you to sort of really get t tissue up really high, because as you mentioned, it's just going to always go down again. So yeah, I think oftentimes if you don't do that dissection all the way up, you're just going to get an inverted slope uh, yeah. to the upper pole. Yeah. And I saw Amy's presentation and I, the literature is out there, but it's not as complete as what you would think and try to get this stuff out there and within a, a readable kind of manuscript. But it's a, yeah, you'll see, you'll see that Sal said is you'll see that flat upper pole in a projecting breast. And that's just because things aren't dissected as far as, and then the lateral aspect, I am doing the, the skin flaps are attacked to the lateral chest as well to periosteum. You have to be careful with the, where the pec vasculature comes out and things like that. So you navigate around that, but the skin and creating that lateral breast folds, not not with the actual uh, mound, but that's really with the skin. And I'll do that on the majority of patients. Do you leave drains in? No, I, I don't use drains in the breasts. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. The goal is to have no dead space in there. And there's really not. But coming out, they look very accentuated. Upper pole volume is very accentuated. Because if you don't have, that doesn't get, that doesn't get better. It gets, things go lower, not higher. You know? You know, one, one thing I've done before in a patient like this that didn't want an implant is utilizing some ADM just to support the actual breast mound, very similar to how you would do a prepectoral breast reconstruction or at least three quarters of the way. And I found that to be moderately successful. It does have some expense to it. Patients do have to pay for an ADM or an acellular dermal matrix or some sort of mesh to hold things into position, but I've been pretty happy with that operation. So do you have any additional slides, Andy? You, you get some oh, yeah. other befores and afters? Yeah, we have, we have plenty more, but that's a good point. I have a couple patients, I think maybe one or two patients that I have, uh, not primarily, but there can be a little lateral descent in the breast tissue. 
uh, or in the mound. And so I have gone back. I just, I believe on just one patient, I, I use Galaflex on her. I, I don't yeah. know if I, sh- if I should use a trade name on this, but I have no financial implications on that. But so I've used that and I, I like that product. I think it, it serves all the purposes I need it for, but it, it for reinforcement, especially on the outer aspect, that lateral aspect on a rounded chest. I think it can help reinforce things, but I don't do things primarily on that. I, I really, I don't feel I need it on everyone. It is an added expense. It's a foreign body. So if Keep I don't it need it, I'm not going to use it. Yeah. Keep it organic. Yep. Keep it green. <laughs> so this is, so, a gr- this is a great result. Yeah. So this is actually a patient who wants to maintain volume. Okay. Dense breasts too. I think that's the other thing, just like on noses, you, you underestimate what the cartilage strength is and firm breast tissue is going to be unforgiving, but firm breast tissue is great long-term. So this result holds true. And uh, this is probably a six month result or maybe eight month result, something like that. And uh, there you go. There are no implant volumes up. This is what the patient wanted. Um, sure. I could say, Hey, there's a little bit, maybe a little bit large, but you can see from the lateral view that upper pole, yeah, it stays true. Yeah. That's great. Super impressive. And this is a patient, this is a pretty early result out of town patient, but you know, you can see where volumes down a little density to her breast. I think this patient would be really challenging you to even consider putting an implant behind. And this is a result from, you know, a lateral view and three quarter view. It's impressive because if you didn't tell me, I would have guessed possibly that you had put a plant plant in. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Sometimes I'll trick the office staff. (laughs) You'll show them this and they'll think that they're... Uh, uh, Do you have the implant information on this patient? (laughs) (laughs) I would totally believe it, actually. Do you ever do any liposuction in the lateral aspect of the uh, chest wall in order to... Yeah, no, I... So all that... See that, that indentation on the outer breast? That's that... I have a series of OPDS sutures that really go right down to the rib right there. So that's a little bit more accentuated than what it will be long-term, but I actually utilize a lot of that tissue. If you look at the auto augmentation in the, in the oncology, you know, oncoplastic literature, they're really harvesting outer breast flaps. So I really do harvest quite a significant outer breast flaps. That's, I actually use that, but you can see that scar extends onto the outer chest. So I, I really don't do any liposuction in that area or feel like I need it, I guess. Tell me, Andy, tell me a little bit about the pain patients have after this with those deeper sutures to the periosteum and things like yeah. that. What do you, how do you manage that? How bad is it? Yeah. So all counsel patients, it's not uncommon where that will be the point of a discomfort, not the upper chest, but the outer chest and I'll counsel patients beforehand. Hey, that, that, that can hurt. I think sometimes it doesn't, it's not just uncomfortable right away, but as those sutures dissolve, sometimes two to three weeks, you'll have this kind of, they'll actually hear a pop. And I'm like, well, that, that's probably one of those sutures breaking free. And so I do a series around four sutures out there just because I feel like it needs a little bit of support. So at around 10 days, they'll feel a little bit more discomfort, inflammation, things like that. I'm a big proponent of anti-inflammatories. I don't use a huge amount of liposomal bupivacaine, but I always inject in that area with directly in that area with a bupivacaine. And that seems to get them through the, at least the initial kind of discomfort, but long-term I haven't had, you know, any long-term issues in that area, but it is, it, it, it can be uncomfortable, but it's usually this delayed discomfort that's not, doesn't require anything other than maybe just increasing maybe a little bit of ibuprofen. 
Right. So another patient, a uh, large breasted, doesn't want, doesn't need an implant. Long chest too. You can see where the chest hits, probably a longer IMF. I've tried to lift IMF. I, I think that's really challenging. I think that those are the patients that could benefit from some reinforcement, maybe some a Galaflex or something like that. But this is an auto augmentation patient, maintains volume, has a, a look of an implant in maintain. Now this is, a, this is actually an interesting slide. This is a patient who presented to me that had implants. She had saline implants, I believe, like 430 cc saline implants. Didn't want them anymore, felt she was too big and just wanted a little bit more. And I felt like it's interesting when you remove the implant, you actually see the ptosis, the, the true laxity of the breast, because I feel like that capsule around holds the breast up. So once you take out the capsule, take out the implant, I put the pec back down. And then, so all the auto augmentation is pre-pectoral and same wise type pattern tissue mass that's wrapped on itself. And then this is what you can gain a lot. She was very, didn't have a huge amount of breast tissue. This is a 400, I, I think 440 CC saline implant. And then this is her without the implant with an auto augmentation, no fat grafting. That's very impressive because great. if you've ever seen, I mean, we've seen it, but a lot of patients obviously haven't. If you take out a 400 CC implant, you get nothing. It looks like um, a completely deflated balloon. And for you to take that existing tissue and refashion it, into a very natural and nicely lifted breast volume is very impressive, especially because you saved them in operation. You basically did it in one, in one step. You didn't, you didn't delay it, which is great. That's a hard one on that because the literature on that one's out there too. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's one of those operations where, you know, patients really will present say, I don't want an implant. And uh, this is an option. It's not an option for everyone. It's an option. If you see through where she's going to be after you remove the implant and use everything you can without deforming the lower pole or making her too tight. I think this is a really nice option, but it's, it, it, it is a really, it's a, a challenging surgery. And on these patients, I do superior pedicles and then an inferior mound underneath of that, because if you think about where the incision is, if it's uh, subareolar or IMF, you've really delayed the nipple and you're not really, I, I don't feel you're not really going to have a central mound, obviously. So I do superior pedicles on here. It's a different type pattern. But same principle of I do anchor that that lower mound up to the periosteum and then refashion it too. How much ptosis are you willing to um, tolerate in terms of these patients? Like how how much ptosis before we say this is not something that I would feel comfortable doing with a central mound? I feel like I I do breast reductions. I do a lot of superior pedicle breast reductions. So I've really I push superior pedicles a little bit and central mounds as well. I guess I don't want to put a limit on it, but I'm I have a pretty broad I don't have a I don't have a number to give you. And I think if you looked on one of those patients, I think the third example, she had quite a bit of ptosis and that's a central mound. And I think the blood supply to this to the central aspect of the breast is fairly secure. And uh, so there's no undermining under there. And uh, I, I really have uh, limited, I've had a couple inferior aspect of the areolar, a little bit of necrosis, but they're few and far between, not any nipple loss or anything like that. So I feel really good about that pedicle and feel like you can apply that to a lot of patients. That's great.
That's great. Well, Andy, this is these are really great results, and I think it really represents an operation that is somewhat under the radar that we don't necessarily offer patients very frequently because it's quite honestly, it's a lot easier to to just put in an implant. But obviously, the potential for implant related issues are, are high. So this is a this is a really great option for them. How many patients would you say you've done in your career with this operation? As I said, the numbers probably if I take like implant removal, autoog primary autoog things like that there's i'm gonna say it's approaching probably a thousand oh it's great yeah it's great yeah it's a lot it's a big it, it's a I, I do them not infrequently in my practice and i initially when i first started doing them they'd be in the massive weight loss patients and uh, but now i've expanded to as we said implant removals really common to see the the patient who comes in that that has already done that experiment where someone has put a big implant into a totic breast to quote unquote, fill it out. And a year later, they're in my office with enough breast tissue. It hasn't been sacrificed. They haven't done a lift, take the implant out, do an auto augmentation with a superior pedicle. I think that operation is probably what, what I see a little bit more frequently, but the primaries are great. They're predictable, but it's taken some time, that operation, man, it's taken some time to get to where you can really call your shot on it. Yeah, great. This is definitely something that is very technique specific. And I would say yeah. there's probably a pretty good learning curve associated with it. And you'd really want to know exactly how you're raising those flaps and how you're positioning them in order to achieve that really nice result there. So I'm looking forward to seeing you publish this because I think a lot of people will benefit, but we really need very, like you said, there's stuff out there, but not as much that would be very helpful from a very practical, specific, technique-oriented perspective that would help more surgeons achieve these kind of results in these patients. Yeah, it, it's, I think right now, if you look at the literature, it's really veering over to oncoplastic. I ran into Mike St. Cyr a couple months ago, and he was really intrigued by it. And I think we're going to, we'll put our heads together. I have this, during the pandemic, I actually started writing it up, and it's kind of been one of those things that I just pick up and, and put down and things like that. But I feel like it, it's an operation that's going to need some explanation, too, because there is that learning curve. They do take me roughly around three and a half hours to do. That's the other thing. It's, it's not a short operation. It's not a quick operation. The recovery is very equivalent to any really breast surgery, but yeah, there is a pretty steep learning curve. I think hopefully the contribution would be such where I've experienced, hey, here's how you graduate into doing this. But yeah, I think there's patients that, you know, do challenging patients that don't have, that have a thin breast envelope with an implant too. And just like that last result, I think there's a definitely a need for it. You can definitely get more than what you think. And the patient satisfaction with that in particular is, you know, through the roof. That's great. That's great. Yeah. The results are amazing, Andy. I can't wait to see this in print because I think so many plastic surgeons would, would from learning your technique. They really are amazing. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. It's, as I said, we work on this stuff. And I, I think one thing that I've found is I'll, I'll find things throughout this technique that don't work. Or if I have some scars, just some bottoming out, I have had that. And uh, so it's just yeah, how to prevent that. But it's approaching this in a really individual way because there's all these parameters, there's all these variables in there with you know, breast tissue density, skin quality, all these things are really, you have to take into account. And yeah, I think that's all part of it. Well, Andy, thanks so much. This has uh, been great. It's been great to see you and we'll, uh, we'll have to have you on again to talk about some other things. And uh, we'll leave you with this, the Texas Longhorn, okay? No, man, it's fight on. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're coming back. They've been a sleeping giant. 
<laughs> is it this or is it this? How do they do it? Fight on. Oh, I thought the well, longhorn thing was this. That's longhorn. We don't do that. That not in my household. In my household, <laughs> all about victory. V for victory. That's good. Sign it off, guys. Well, thanks again. All right, take Thank care. Thank you, Andy. All right. Bye.